You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. The Dice Men Cometh! Good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome to episode 301 of the Dice Men Cometh radio show and podcast, brought to you normally from the Edge Radio studios in sunny, well, not so sunny most of the time, Hobart, but at the moment, we're starting what we're probably going to be calling our quarantine special series, where we are coming to you not so live from three different places around southern Tasmania. I am Leon. I am joined, luckily, as I am always, by Mark... (laughs) seamless straight off the bat we should have rehearsed that one surely it's the dice men quarantineth yes the dice men quarantineth you are very much right uh we're also still brought to you by our good friends at lfg australia jump onto their website buy the stuff they will deliver it to your door and you won't have to worry about this whole being bored at home for a very very long time now lads we haven't done this before for a proper length of time. We're always normally face-to-face in the studio, get a bit of interaction going. And our fans, I call them fans, people that listen, but they could be fans, they could hate us, it's hard to say, um, based on the feedback anyway. But people generally seem to tune in because they like the banter, they like the interaction yeah. between me and you two old fellas, right? Well, it's more about the interaction with me and you two old fellas, surely. Well, possibly. I am sitting here with my giant glass of whiskey. Just one second. <laughs> And if we release the video of this as well, I just said to the lads before, I have noticed how getting the old beard going might not be such a bad idea because that's just horrendous for anybody. You are also not very far from a birthday, Leon. So that'll every birthday you put on a bit of weight, don't you? Isn't that just how us old fellas work? Yes. Well, my wife is already in the production of making a peanut butter and Nutella cheesecake for me. So yes, yes, I will be. So... Speaking of which, this banter that I said that I want to make sure that we still have, we need the Dice Men banter to keep going. I have a lovely little book that you can see here. This is Richard Herring's Emergency Questions. <laughs> it is a perfect way to pretend you're interested in people you're not that interested in. So, <laughs> now a smart man would have found some really good ones in here earlier, but I'm just going to flick to... Ah, yep, that's a good one. Leon, yes, I've got a solution to the, uh, to the double chins. What's that? Well, you just get yourself with this wonderful popper stopper like I've got here in front of my ah. microphone. And then no one can see your face. Well, people still need to see the face. Leaning forward <laughs> is a really good idea as well. I would so. really show it to them so they can... Okay, let's not do that. Anyway, so uh, emergency questions. All right, how about this one? And we'll go to you first, Garth, so you two don't speak over each other so quickly. Uh, so. If you had to replace your genitalia <laughs> with the face of one of the Muppets, which would you choose and why? Oh, it's got to be the drummer. Who's the drummer from the band? Animal. 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 Far out. How can you go past Animal as your genitalia? Surely every lady would just go wild for... I don't think he probably has the arms, but he's definitely got the face and the voice and the mannerisms. Mark? Surely he's got these kind of arms, so that would work, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm tossing up between... um... Don't say tossing up between... (laughs) I'm tossing up between Dr. Bunsen Honeydew. Which is what you call it anyway, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Or Gonzo. Like his nose is just flopping down, isn't it, Mark? That sort of makes sense from an age (laughs) point of view. Well, I was thinking either Sam the Eagle to be actually somewhat 
practical, but a oh, bit sharp. Yes. But most likely, I think I will go with Sweetums. That seems to make the most sense to me. Just okay. that, um, that's the one that's about 10 foot tall with it's nobody scale, can remember. Scale, yeah, that's so the, right. the, the biggest one humanly possible outside of a snuffleupagus, which is essentially <laughs> a muppet. So, what about those things that just go whoop, 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 whoop? Do they not do that anyway? Are they not supposed to do that? Oh, I've got at least on your birthday, they probably do. I've got to go see a doctor about another thing, anyway. Right, so that is the banter sorted now. Actually, right. back to business. We are the Dice Men Cometh, we are Australia's, nay, the Southern Hemisphere's number one board game, card game, tabletop game, RPG, all the games you can play, hopefully at the moment, in the confines of your own house, nice and safe and happy with your family. And obviously, it goes without saying, everybody out there that's listening, we hope you're all safe and healthy and everything is going well for you in these tough times. Hopefully, we can help boost your spirits a little bit with stupid Muppet talk and stuff about board games. So, Garth, what are we actually going to talk about this evening? Well, tonight we are going to talk about restaurants because restaurants are doing it tough now at the moment. They can only do takeaway, so that's not that great for their business. So we are going to add in a little bit of hilarity and fun with Rival Restaurants, which is a a recent game that had its second go at Kickstarter. The first go was very successful. The second go just made a lot of money as well. So we were very lucky to get a Kickstarter review copy of this. And we're going to talk about it. It's, It's all about us as rival restauranteurs trying to win a game, become more famous, do the right thing, and always become the head wiener at the end of the game. Once we do that, Mark, you want to talk to us about something? Is that right? Just talk? Well, I wanted to just reflect on, because there's been a lot of discussions lately, about what can we do when we're gamers? How do we game when we're stuck here in our lounge rooms, bedrooms, offices, cars, wherever we happen to be living. So I thought I might talk about a few of the methods that we found and then ask you guys some questions because you might even know more stuff than I do just for once. Wow. Believe it or not, people, you want to stay tuned for that. Mm. So look, should we start off with our review? How about we go straight to the top and talk about... Rival restaurants. Before we do that, Garth, because we're going to still put in some little happy little stings and a few possible advertisements in this as well. So we might just say, before we jump into that, that we are the Dice Men Cometh. You are listening to us, hopefully, on the podcast, as well as Edge Radio 99.3 FM. And we are brought to you by LFG, that is Looking for Gamers Australia. And we will be back after whatever I put in the edit, and we're going to talk about rival restaurants. Hey, Garth. Yes. You know what's missing in the Australian board game environment? Oh, there's plenty of things, but what are you thinking of? Well, you know, there's plenty of stuff you can do on your phone. We've got plenty of board games, but sometimes I just like to sit down and read. Okay, well, that would mean you'd have to have your glasses, though, wouldn't it? Yes. That's a big thing. I have a feeling that I might know what you're talking about. Well, I hope so, because I I need some reading. Well, the good thing is, unlike you who are pushing the bad side of fifth... (laughs) I know that there is a magazine that is only the sprightly age of 25. Wow. Which means that even you as an old person can read something and relate to me as a young person. Are you being ageist, Garth? Maybe, but only pedantically. Okay. (laughs) Tell me more. Well, what I'm talking about is the Campaigner magazine, which is a quarterly print and electronic magazine all about the gaming world that we live in. So you can get 
the OG version in like 1.0 cardboard paper type stuff. Yeah. Or the 2.0 electronical version. Exactly. You sound so with it. Yeah. So each issue includes a game feature where game designers and publishers explain the process they went through in creating a particular game. It also includes articles and interviews with subjects centred on the community, lifestyle, creativity, and even, for you, education. Fantastic. I love me some education about games and designers. Well, not only that, but you can get the latest news, interviews, potentially even with Australia's leading board game podcast, previews and reviews on games, all of those in the magazine, which is the Campaigner magazine, and also on their website, because even though this magazine comes out every quarter, and by the way, you can subscribe for only $38 a year, you can jump onto their website, thecampaignermagazine.com, to purchase back issues and do you know that you only get to pay what you want to pay for these electronic issues? Really? Yeah, bargain. I think I'm going to have to check out The Campaigner magazine. And how can I find it online again? Well, it is the website, thecampaignermagazine.com. It's not just a hobby, it's a way of life. And that was another fantastic track from someone called Something. You're back here with the Dicemen Cometh. Now, Leon. Yes, you wanted to create more banter, I hear. Yes, we've got to keep up with the banter. It is the most important thing. Other than to say, of course, Edge Radio 99.3 FM and LFG Australia. But more importantly, would you rather be a booger or some belly button fluff? Mark, how about you? Definitely belly button fluff. But why? Why? Well, that's my part of town. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I can't argue with it. I don't understand it at all, but I can't argue with that. Garth, what about you? I have to disagree completely. Surely a booger, you might not live a long life, but you leave it a very exciting one. That last little flick through the air, what a way to go. I would, just for sake of mucking around, probably go with the belly button fluff as well, mainly because, uh, according to my wife at the very least, I have quite a large belly button anyway. So I'm probably 90% belly button fluff already, and I like how I am. So I'm going to stick with that. Now, Garth. Your secret pouch of holding, is it? <laughs> no, that's a different... Anyway, <laughs> Rival Restaurants, let's talk about it. Yeah, so Rival Restaurants, which is a, a game that's designed by Gary Alaka, Rob Chu, John Kang, and released by Gap Closer Games, with art by Judy Young, or Jung, J-U-N-G, recently had its second round on, on Kickstarter. Uh, the first one was successful, the second one just so. But this is a game where you're all playing competitive restaurants where food meets fun. The goal in this game is actually to be the first restaurant to get to 20 popularity points. Popularity is obviously determined by the quality of the recipes that you're going to buy and make, the level of skill you've been able to have in, I guess, outplacing your rivals, and you get to declare yourself the wiener at the end of it. Now, what makes this game quite interesting is that it plays from two to eight players. If you look at the box, it says two to eight. It's just redonkulous. You wouldn't want to necessarily play with two. Would you want to play with eight? I don't know. We haven't done it. But this is a game that you need to really invest like 45 to 60 minutes time in because you're going to have hopefully a bit of fun with that. Now, Leon, you haven't played this one yet, have you? No, I was there when you played it. I was one of the people. 
I was there because I I almost won the thing. I was like a quarter of a turn away from winning the thing. Remember? Ah, oh, this is that old leading from the front side of side of Leon that we don't know. No, I didn't do that in this game, so that's why I almost won at the end. But um, <laughs> yes, to your point, we haven't played this at any other. We played this at six people, and we were going Correct. to play it again before speaking about it. But sadly, due to circumstances, we haven't had the chance to. Now, with six players, it was good and chaotic, which I think is what you want for a game like this with lots of negotiation and table talk. I don't know how well it would work with two, even three. I think four, I assume, would be the minimum. But then going up to eight would just be... I don't even know how much space you would need on a table to be able to get that done. So between four to six, I think, is probably the sweet spot. Interesting to note, when it went back for the second time on Kickstarter with the expansion, Rival Restaurants, colon, back for seconds, it does play up to eight. And I think that could be really fun because, as we said, without burying the lead, it was a lot of fun. It was very chaotic. Um, What I will also point out, Garth, you, you mentioned two runs on Kickstarter. The first run had over 4,000 backers and they pledged over $300,000. And then the second run had over 5,000 backers. And again, they got over $300,000. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a pretty successful couple of games, eh? Well, I was going to say, for a company that this was their first game and then uh, an expansion and a reprint for their first game, that's phenomenal. Yeah, it's pretty spectacular. So... What is this game about apart from rival restaurants and how the hell do you play it? Well, this game is played out over a number of rounds until one player is going to get to those 20 popularity points. Each round is made up of three three phases. You've got the money and move phase, which is kind of just to get ready. You earn 300 bucks every day, or if you've got some upgrades, you might earn a bit more money. And then you're going to be programming your little rival restaurant disc which has one of the several locations that you can go on to and that's that round you're just taking some money and deciding where the hell you want to go it's pretty boring takes like two minutes then you get into the meat of the game <laughs> meat, meat of the game funny yes yes because no. yes, there's meat in it that's very good yeah. good thank you just checking um and that's called the buy and barter now what you've done is you've moved people your little standees to the part of the board that you want to get to and there's going to be different parts that you want to get you might want to go to buy some vegetables you might want to go and buy some meat you might want to get a whole lot of carbs or visit the mystery mart and get some alien goo if that's what you're feeling like tonight or just some tofu you can do that there as well so you're going to place your guy one guy out there if there's two on the same one you might have a bit of an issue but a lot of the time you won't And you'll get to that point where you then decide, ah, now I've got to buy something. But Leon, you want something to say, is that right? Indeed you do. Now, I was going to say, when you place these people um, to different locations, there's one thing about this game that needs to be talked about other than the the negotiation of it is that each character, like any good game, has a different ability. But the abilities in this game are hugely important. Absolutely. So you've got character abilities where, for example... If you land on the same area as another player, your special ability is to kick them out and they don't Mm. get a chance to buy any of the ingredients from that type. It's really powerful, these kind of abilities, and they can be completely game-changing. There's a really big suite of different characters that comes in the version we've got, and, and thankfully we did get one of the Kickstarter versions. 
but that can really alter the gameplay for everyone involved. Now, you've got yourself there, you've put your dude on the board, and you're about to go into some hardcore potential negotiations. But Mark? Yeah, Garth, I just I guess just on the on the player powers, I know when we started, it was very much like, what? This is broken. And I think at that stage, you know, we hadn't really got into the game. But I think as you get into the game and you get the chaotic feel for how chaotic the chaoticness is, those player powers really suit the game because you can't, you know, it's not perfect information. You can't plan it down to the nth degree. You can't really math out your turns to where, you know, in turn five, I'm going to produce some Hawaiian burgers and a risotto and I'm going to fly over the finish line. To me, those abilities really add to the gameplay. And the fact that all the abilities are so different, I think works really, really well in this game. Whereas in other games, perhaps, um, you know, they might be a bit OP. Well, the thing is, the abilities are definitely stronger, but Garth will probably mention very soon, there is something else in this game that is even (laughs) stronger, stronger, stronger still, which is probably going to be the either the biggest pro or the biggest con for most people about this game. So we'll get to that in a minute, I'm sure. Quite possibly. So look, yeah, there are a huge amount of players that you're going to be able to choose from. And yes, their abilities are very varied and very powerful. But the main thing in this game is, as I say, is the buy and barter. Now you've got your characters onto the board. And if you're lucky enough to be at the right, what's called a shelf, which is where you'll buy your ingredients. You might just be able to spend a hundred bucks or 200 bucks and buy a couple of ingredients. But if other players are there and it's on the same one that you want, you have to bid. So you have to start with the, whatever the base cost is, 200 bucks. Then Leon says 300. Then I go 400 and 500 and it's just survival of the fittest and the richest. And then you get, oh, some cheese. Fantastic. But the reason you want to be going to all of these places and doing these negotiations, and it must be said, you can negotiate virtually anything in the game. There are recipes, which we haven't talked about yet. There are a whole bunch of ingredients. There are garbage tokens, which are really cool. There's obviously money that you can trade. There are recipes, again, gourmet and basic. There's also some action cards that Leon, you know, you might have a little bit to say about action (laughs) cards and we'll we'll park that and we'll talk about that in a little while. But yeah, when you're buying and bartering, it is no hold barred. And you have to do it all with this cool little timer. It's not quite as cool as to do something porn in Magic Maze, but you've got a one-minute timer where all of the negotiations, bearing in mind that you could have eight people around the table, have to try and take place. So I might want to buy some cheese from Leon, who wants to sell some pork to Mark. So I have to buy the pork so that Leon can get some spring onions because Mark wants those. And that's just three people doing that. You've got five other people who are all doing this and trading every combination of things. It leads to chaos for that minute. It also potentially leads to wine being spilt all over the game (laughs) if you haven't put your drinks far enough away. Yes, that, that may or may not have happened. It definitely did happen, by the way. <laughs> uh, um, but yes, as you say, it is absolutely chaotic. However, the thing is, it needs to be because if you didn't have that timer, the game wouldn't kind of work. Any negotiation game, if you don't have a strict kind of limit on the time, you could just sit there and go, well, if I'm going to play this properly to try and play to win, you have to math it out and literally go, I'm not going to give you that because that's going to lead to that, to that, to that. I shouldn't do that. And it would just get really boring and bogged down. So even though that minute is absolute mayhem and every fibre of your being wishes you had 90 seconds or two minutes, it probably needs to stay at a minute. 
for at least more experienced players to get the, the tension that the, this kind of game desires. Now, chaos isn't for everyone, but it sure was for us. And I think there are so many, for one of another name, perfect information games out there, Euro games, where you can plan your purchases, you can plan your menu, you can plan your food production, you can plan your moves, you can do that. I think the fact that you can't do that in this and that it plays so quickly, it makes it, it, it has a real sweet spot. I think if the game took a lot longer, or, you know, you really had to plan it out and then you got screwed over. I think it would take away from it. Whereas I, I think for me, that chaos in the time of this game adds to it. I think the other thing that I want to point out is how good does this game look? It's got gorgeous color. It's got gorgeous pictures. It's got this neat little plastic sort of tray in the middle where you've got all your cards You've got all your little plastic clips and things for your special abilities, which I'm sure you're about to mention, Garth. The game itself looks absolutely gorgeous. Now, I couldn't find anything else that had been done by this illustrator on BGG, but wow, they've done an amazing job. I thought that this art really had a King of Tokyo style feel to it. Yes. It's like this cartoony style art that just really just got you involved in this game. So you're looking at these really cool types of art that just gets you hooked up and, and it's got, you know, silly character references and, um, you know, has a whole bunch of in-jokes as well and the names of the people are Kim Chi and Baron Stroganov and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it is a lot of fun and it does look spectacular. Now, why do you want all these ingredients? Well, you're making recipes, as I mentioned, and and... The next phase after you've done all this talking and fighting and bargaining is to actually go and do a bit of cooking and countering. Now, as I said, there are two types of recipes. You've got your basic recipes and then you've also got some gourmet recipes. Now, the difference is going to be basic ones have a certain amount of ingredients. They might be two, three, four different types of ingredients. And if you've been able to collect those during the course of um, a round or previous rounds, you'll get to cook one. Whereas the gourmet recipes are going to be more complicated, but also give you more of those delicious popularity points. A basic recipe might be worth two or maybe three popularity points, which is fine when you're getting to 20, but a gourmet one might be worth six, seven, eight points, which means you only have to cook a couple of them and you're going to be be winning this game. The problem is they're going to require ingredients from all of the different shelves, the different locations that you've got to go and visit. And chances are you're going to have to try and drive some really impressive bargains to be able to get it done nice and quickly. Now, the other thing that we've got to talk about is damn garbage. That's what I wanted to mention, Garth. This whole garbage thing, I've got to say, it's garbage. Not a fan? And what I mean is the difference between some of the bigger recipes and some of the smaller recipes, the amount of ingredients was, was hugely different. But quite often, the amount of garbage was not that different however i guess garbage management is a real aspect of this game actually like a real restaurant i guess so do you want to say why garbage management is important mark or do you want to leave that to me well garth i don't want to steal your thunder or your garbage (laughs) well just to just to fill you in every recipe creates garbage now could be two three four five a lot of garbage now what that means is for subsequent recipes when you complete them they are worth that number of popularity points 
minus the amount of garbage that you've already got in your restaurant. So a delicious gourmet recipe, which might make you six, six of those delicious popularities is only worth two because you've already got four garbage sitting around in your restaurant. So you've got to really manage that situation by visiting a, a central location on the board called an island where you can pay a hundred bucks every time you want to get rid of a bit of garbage. And you can go there and, and get rid of as much garbage as you can afford to. Or you can trade it and get somebody else to get rid of your garbage for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, the next thing is we really need to talk about these action cards because these, these cards, depending on who you want to speak to, <laughs> as you say, Leon, are amazing or they are absolutely horrible. And there is a really thick deck of them and they will change every game a lot. Sorry, Garth, we didn't mention the island. No, we haven't. We alluded to it, you know, because obviously you can go shopping at the various shelves, shops, whatever you call them. But then you've got this island and I think it it directly leads to the action cards because that's where you have to go to buy them. It's one of these situations where... You want to spend your turn going out shopping for ingredients because making food is what the game is all about. But you can't ignore the island because firstly, that's where you get rid of your garbage. Secondly, that's where you get your action cards. And then thirdly, that's where you buy these special abilities that you can use for the whole rest of the game. What about the island? Yeah, so the island needs some love. So yeah, you're right, Mark. Every every person's going to be given their own little restaurant player board and it's tracking the popularity down one side. And once you hit some benchmarks, you might get a one-off ability. But yeah, the island is where you'll be able to upgrade and get more choices of basic or gourmet recipes. You might be able to earn a bit more money every round instead of just the base 300. You might get a social media campaign, which means you get $400 instead of three or celebrity endorsement that'll give you even more of that. But you can also get a cooktop, which is a double cooker, which allows you to cook two recipes around as opposed to one. Pretty massive, costs a lot of money, but it's an investment for the long-term success. Leon, what do you got to say? Well, also it's another thing to mention, not only with the heaps of characters in this game, there's heaps of different restaurants as well. And as you said, they all have different uh, landmark abilities that you get at different victory point scores, as well as they all favor certain types of um, cuisine, like Japanese cuisine or Italian or Mexican, which is great because the variety of that adds to this game as well as the characters, is through the roof. But yes, you go to the island, which is the one safe place you can go. No one else can do anything to you negatively. You can kind of go there at your free will. However, as you mentioned, those action cards. Now, we need to talk about them because are they the most powerful or the biggest swingy type cards that we've seen in a game for some time, if not ever? <laughs> they are certainly up there. I mean, obviously... When you're talking unique special abilities, Cosmic Encounter might still be up there for a lot of people as just being crazy. But you can but see them. Yeah, you can. You can see them in front of you. You know what's coming and you have a chance to get them generally. Yeah, there's look, there's a lot of them. And there are ones that will just give a bit of money, but there are ones that will do pretty much everything. Like there's going to be stuff that will benefit me as the the chef that's going to play it, I might get a couple of bucks or I might get an ingredient or something like that. But a lot of the time they're going to be playing havoc on my rivals, which I get it. You're my rivals. So I want to make your game a little bit tougher, but they can really swing a whole round or even a couple of rounds and put someone really far behind 
that might be enough to take him out of the game. And that's just one little card uh, out of an otherwise 60 minute experience. Yeah. I think that's the thing with these cards is you've got to be prepared for the swinginess. I was likening them to saying King of Tokyo, you've got all those special ability cards, but you know, if you want a really powerful one, you've got to save up for those seven or eight energy cubes to be able to get it. Whereas in this, and you know, it can be like in cosmic, I guess, you, it's potluck. You might draw one that just, oh, lets you steal two coins from someone. Or you might take one that lets you steal a whole recipe or basically ruin a person's whole turn or do other crazy things. There was all sorts. So again, I guess it's like the, the chaoticness, chaosity. <laughs> You've got to be prepared for that in the game. And as long as you are, you won't be disappointed. Yeah. Look, just a couple of examples. Raiders of the Lost Pork card. This one just steals an ingredient of your choice from any chef. Oh, that's okay. Or you've got a fake sale card, which means that all market prices are doubled for all chefs for the rest of the day. So something that costs 100 bucks now is two. Something costs 300, costs you six. And that's every other player except you. That is horrendously round destroying Mm. for a lot of people because money quite often is so, so, so tight. And then you've got, it's just business. And this one, during the buy and barter, force up to two restaurants, two rival players, to be closed for the day. Each chef can't cook unless they pay you $500. That's incredible. Oh, I remember that card, Mark. I remember that card. <laughs> you need to find yourself some clam voyance cards because they're going to stop the action cards being played against you. If you pick one up, do not let it go until possibly what you think is the worst thing that's happened to you comes and goes because something worse is going to happen again. So, what do we think of the game? Look, I'll go first. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it delivers exactly what it says on the box. It doesn't go long. It's really easy to explain and it looks absolutely glorious on the table. I think the components are great. That little game trays central board while being completely functional and makes it easy to store everything both in and out of the box when you're playing it. Look, it means that some players at the wrong right angle can't see how much stuff costs when you're on the island, but everyone gets a player age which tells you that. So you're never going to have anything that um, is not easily found. So, look, I think it delivers on the premise. I think it's a good, fun game, and I can see why the second round of Kickstarter was, you know, a super success just like the first. Yeah, I agree. I can see that people who had played this game and realised how great it was, clearly we're going to come back for more with the um, Back for Seconds or whatever it was expansion. I have to admit, when I sat down to this game, I had that thought of, oh, here we go. Another game that's overproduced, (laughs) lots of glossy colours, and the gameplay is not that hot. And after getting over that initial shock of, oh, this is just craziness, um, I had an absolute blast. As you said, it looks gorgeous. It hits the sweet spot. For us, it probably took, I don't know, what, two and a half hours. But for normal people, it's probably like 60 to 90 minutes. Cleaning up the wine tax. (laughs) look the only thing i'd say that i probably felt was a little bit detrimental and that's not major is you've got your specialty restaurant and there was very little ability yes you can do a little bit of swapping but very little ability to get to get recipes of that 
genre of that theme to give yourself small bonuses, but all the bonuses help to get you across that line. Because it is, at the end of the day, it's a race game. You're racing to 20 points. So, I mean, I don't know that you needed those different restaurant themes. It obviously adds to the gameplay a bit. It was sort of frustrating that I had a Korean restaurant and I didn't get any Korean recipes the whole time. Probably because no one was wanted to swap with me. Yep. It's like some sort of game there, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, you know, all up, I actually had a really good time and it, and it quite surprised me. Leon? Yes, I also did enjoy it, but there are plenty of other negotiation games out there. But the one this is closest to is, of course, Chinatown. Now, that's a game that, unless it was for you guys, I never would have played because it was been out of print for a while. And hopefully this year or maybe next year by this point, because of everything that's going on, it might come back into print. But that's the closest. But that game is pure the best person that does the best negotiation will win. There's no real luck to it other than a couple little tiles out of a bag. Whereas this, we can't understate that crazy deck of power abilities. I could easily see on a different night, all of us playing this and going, this game is utter rubbish because those cards come out in a certain order that did certain things that just destroyed our entire enjoyment of the situation. So I would actually quite like to play another version of this game exactly the same except take those cards out of it, which would be easy enough to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It would not be hard. And then it comes down to who negotiates the best and they're going to be the winners. Very similar to Chinatown. Um, but as you said, it looks amazing. So that is a bit of a thing that could turn some people off, but it's definitely worth a try. And I still think it's worth a try maybe doing it without those cards, but I would recommend you give it a crack. Well, there you go. So that was Rival Restaurants by Gap Closer Games. You've heard what the Dice Man people think. Now I think we're going to throw to a song, I believe. Is that right? And this song is going to be on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Thanks again to our lovely sponsor, lfg-oz.com.au. Check them out for all the gaming scenarios. We'll be back after this song? Maybe. Hi, I'm Jamie Stegmeyer from Stonemeyer Games, and you are listening to the Dice Men Cometh podcast. That was somebody with something, maybe, on Edge Radio 99.3 FM with the Dice Men Cometh proudly brought to you by LFG, Looking for Gamers Australia. Get on their website and buy all their stuff. Now, Marky Boy, before you ask all the burning questions that you have in your burning little brain, uh, I do need to know, what is something that you hated as a child that you absolutely adore now? I would have to say, believe it or not, Cheese. Oh, Gromit. I don't know what that gesture was, but you hated cheese as a kid. It's Wallace and Gromit. Well, I think it's because as a kid, cheese to me was plastic individual wrapped slices in a packet. That was the only sort of cheese I really knew. And it tasted like plastic back in the 70s and 80s. I mean, it still did, mate. I, I grew up poor, and that's the only thing. I thought that's all that cheese was until about, yeah, yeah. I don't know, a few years ago. <laughs> that's exactly the same experience for me. So, um, yeah, and now I'm an absolute cheese fanatic, cheese head. I love cheese. I just love to eat cheese. Excellent. Garth? Oh, it's got to be steak. I have classic Australian parents who do not yeah. know how to cook steak. Oh, it no, comes yeah. out like... This. <laughs> yeah. So my steaks were brown and grey and horrible and you would get the sore mouth from trying to chew and chew and chew. 
And it wasn't that steak was bad. It's just that my mum and dad didn't know how to cook it. Mm. And now when it's so delicious and so moist and a little bit of pink in the middle and that, oh, just medium rare and pepper sauce, oh, I'll have it every day. Yeah. I think until probably my, I was at least 18 years old and went to the new Sydney, which I can't wait to go back to sometime <laughs> soon, hopefully. Uh, I probably never had a good steak myself. Uh, for me, the first ones that come to my mind were uh, mayonnaise and sour cream. Two things that I absolutely... Ha- I mean, to be fair, I didn't have a lot of access to them with growing up poor. It was just sour cream? What are you talking about? We barely had <laughs> it's not Christmas cream or milk or anything. But they're two things that... Uh, with a Dutch wife, if I didn't like mayonnaise, I'd, I'd be done for. Uh, yeah. So luckily, I love that now. And absolutely, I do love sour cream. But we're here to talk about board games, apparently. So we should probably do that. Yeah, well, Mark, you need to ask us some burning questions from your burning room. Is that right? Burning, burning mouth, I think I said. Yes. Don't let us, uh, let us do that. Now, for us, we have a regular game group. We get together every week. A lot of people don't have that. And they have their board game meetups where maybe once a week, maybe once a month, maybe not very often, they get to go and hang out with good friends or not so good friends or people they hardly know. But that is such an event for them. So we've been a bit spoiled. Now, what I think, though, is those people now, what are they doing? What are we doing? What are we even doing sitting here? Now, I've been probably on my computer almost every night with some form of computer-based board gaming. You like to joke about me playing solo board games, but the truth is I never play solo board games because I have friends. What? Like you guys. But I am totally not interested in playing solo board games whereas say leon hello i know you you would always say you were not even interested in two-player games because if you wanted to play two-player games you and your lovely wife would jump onto the ps4 or the x machine or whatever it is you've got and do that stuff (laughs) the x machine you say no, we don't have X machines in this house, but we do have a, a, a Nintendo Switch. But yes, normally with two-player games, me and my wife, we are, I think the term is cinephiles or cinephiles. Now, that's not a bad thing. Calm down. Basically, we watch a lot of film, not just movies that come out like your Fast and Furious. We watch like random black and white films from like the French new wave of like the 1950s and 60s. We watch everything. So that's what we do together. We don't play a lot of games together. We play games to socialize with our friends. That's what whole point of I got into this hobby and why we do it. So we don't play a lot of them at home. However, that's going to change because I can tell you lads what I've been doing on the board game front. Two things. One of them is a game that I've had sitting on my shelf for a while, a game called Spirit Island, which I think was Garth's game of the year two years or so ago. Sorry, I can't hear you. (laughs) I've lost your audio there, Leon. So a game that apparently Garth hates, but BGG absolutely loves, and apparently is rather complicated, And a, but it's also a co-op. I have given that to my wife as something to get for her to do. She's going to learn how to play that, and she's going to teach it to me. Wow, that's cool. Because normally the way that we don't play two-player games is because my enthusiasm of having to learn the damn thing and sitting it down where we could just watch a film together and I didn't have to do anything. So that's what we're doing. And also on Friday... I'm going to pick up a copy from somebody that I asked on the Hobart Game Society Facebook page. I'm going to pick up a copy of Mage Knight because I've been told it is the best board game to play in the world solo. (gasps) So that's what I'm going to be trying to do over my next couple of weeks off. 
even though I'm an essential worker, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I've got some time off work. Um, I'm going to be trying to play this game, which is nearly a five out of five on complexity on BGG. <laughs> I'm going to be playing that solo just so I can report back to you lovely folk. Yeah, wow. That's pretty impressive. Well, Mark, you and I both know that we have been spending a fair bit of extra time in front of computers. And I have had to say, I, it's been rekindling my kind of a love affair with online gaming. And there's really been a couple of main sites that I've been using. There's really Board Game Arena, which is probably the one that I was first introduced to. I mean, there's Jukata and there's obviously the Vassal Engines and what have you, but Jukata's more... <clears throat> more Mark's generation. <laughs> um, whereas Board Game Arena is, you're playing against real players, but you're not being able to break games. You have to follow the rules. You have to do the right thing. And it's got classic games. It occasionally gets newer games, like it just got Sushi Go. But there's still just a, you, you go there for the older stuff, like your, you know, Carcassonne and your Russian Railroads, which apparently is one of my favourite games, uh, K2, which is great, Yahtzee and a few other classics. And, and that has a lot of fun to it. And then got some other ones, but we'll talk about the other ones after Mark has his say. Yeah, so I obviously, Garth, I introduced you to Board Game Arena a long time ago. I had started off and I had mentioned this uh, website many, many times when we first started this podcast, ucarta.de because that's where I first discovered the ability to be able to play games online with other real people in a sort of a turn-based situation. Now, I think in Yukata and on Board Game Arena, you can play turn-based or you can play real-time where the game goes a lot quicker. What I found, though, was I went from a workplace where I was able to access these websites to a workplace where I wasn't. And all of a sudden, you know, that ability to just take a turn, come back and check it a few hours later, take another turn, even though it only takes up a couple of minutes in your day, I didn't have that anymore. So I left those websites and really hadn't been back, excuse me, until just recently. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that this 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 um, is causing us to have to mm. rethink what it means to, to be gamers. And look, one of the things that I think is, is pretty fair to say that, Mark, you and I have been spending a bit of time with is this thing called Tabletopia. Absolutely. Now, Tabletopia... My screen has changed. Garth's showing me a thing. Yeah, so Tabletopia is this sandbox board gaming engine, which is completely free if you want it to be, or you pay a little bit more and you get a bit more experience. But this is where you get the full experience of a game without the damn rules if you don't want them. But it just is a almost perfect online representation of a game. Now, I just thought I'd bring up Alien Frontiers because I believe we're playing it tonight after the show. And here it is. It took me about two seconds to get into the game. You can see that it's all set up. It's all ready to go. I've, I've already perfectly rolled some ones over here. And here's my own little player area where I've got that set up. And I can set some camera angles to, to view the various bits. If I need to roll some dice, I just cover them up, press R, and away we go. So you can really do pretty much everything that you can in real life when you've got something like Zoom or Discord or a way to stay in touch with people in real time, as well as something like Tabletopia or Tabletop Simulator, where you're getting the full experience of a multiplayer gaming system. 
However, Garth, what you're neglecting to mention is, and it's one of the reasons why certain members of our group maybe aren't so much in love with Tabletopia, a Leon? Hello. <laughs> is the fact that you sort of need to know the rules. I don't know if it's inside and out, but you basically, just like in the real world, you've got stuff on a table. And if you choose to go and pick up another player's piece and throw it across the room or steal a card from in front of them or take their money or give yourself extra money, you could do that because the there, there are no boundaries really on the way the game is presented. It's sitting there. But it also means you could place a worker where you normally wouldn't be allowed to place a worker just because I lift a worker and I put it down and I put it down wherever I damn well want. Yeah, but the flip side... Mark, the flip side to that is it means you're constantly engaged because everyone is watching what you're doing. So like a real game, <laughs> if you happen to play with someone whose name sounds like Snark Snickards, uh, who is constantly making people redo their move or telling them what their move should be or, in fact, correcting their move while they haven't even done their move, it means that everyone is engaged and watching what each player is doing. And and this is a thing about a board game arena or a, a, an engine where the rules are inherently built in. Personally, I play those games as quick as I can. So I'm not, I'm not min-maxing anything. I'm going, okay, I can do that move. I'm th- I know it's going to benefit me, but I'm not sitting down and agonizing. Is that the best move that I can make? I'm going that looks like it's going to benefit me and I'll move on because I've got 14 other games on the go. I've only got 20 minutes to do all these actions. I need to go that move, next table, that move, next table, that move, next table. Yeah, well, it's definitely not my cup of tea, as you just alluded to. However, I have previously, many years ago, we played Santorini on that system and that was a (laughs) perfect level of complexity that it was completely fine. So things like that, like your Carcassones, they would be absolutely grand to play on that. It'd be It's more my concern of playing more in-depth, bigger games with that sort of system that I suppose you can get really good at, but because I'm not really a PC-oriented kind of person, I find it a little bit clunky. So there might be other places out there that are better for you know other people, but each to their own. Some people might love it, some people might not, but it's at least worth a try and it's, it's just a way to interact with other friends, really. Yeah, and I think that there is obviously another system, uh, Tabletop Simulator. Now, I believe with that, every individual person needs to purchase a copy, which I think at the moment it's about, what, $25, $28 for the system. Yeah, yeah. You can buy a bulk group of four, I think, so that it's slightly cheaper, but only just. But then you've actually, I also believe, some of the games you then have to purchase as well, whereas Tabletopia is free. Um, there, yes, there are some premium games, or you can be a premium member, which lets you do other stuff. But there is a plethora of games that you can play, and none of it will cost you anything. Yeah. So, look, for me, I can't compare the two because I've only had a look at Tabletop Simulator briefly because I'm not spending 25 bucks on it. Mm. There are games there that then cost 11 or $12. And when you're paying 25 for a system plus 11 or 12 bucks a game, you're spending a lot of real money for something that you, gosh, you want to make sure you're getting good value out of it. Yeah. Well, if you want something that you don't have to spend a lot of money on, if any money on, now is the best time in probably human history to get on the bandwagon that I got on a few years ago and get on that D&D bandwagon. 
because yeah. with exactly what we're doing right now, with the 10 different apps, your mm. Skype, your Zoom, your Discord, you can connect with friends around the world, all in their own houses, doing their thing. Or you need somebody that's probably played it at least once, run through some sort of quick adventure that you can download for free. My uh, D&D group, we're going to have a crack at it, I think, within the next couple of days. First time we've ever done it online, we always meet face-to-face because they're some of my nearest and dearest, and that's the only time I really get to see them. But we're not invited we're going to try because it's just it's just so easy and it doesn't cost you anything and also with a lot of people staying at home it's the best time to be how going i always wanted to play you know a D or plan a campaign or write one myself i reckon you've probably got that spare time on your hand right now and if you got into it the days would just fly away with how much you could get into that and have great fun with yeah and we also uh talked about garth because leon's not invited at the moment, we're in a, a Gloomhaven campaign. The fact that if we can get Trent, who's currently got the box, to leave outside the individual character boxes with your cards and your little sheet and your little combat deck, then we can have that in front of us. You, because you've got a big table, I can see it behind you, you would have the scenario set up on your table and would either have a camera or even take photos. And we could sit around again with something like zoom or discord and play a game of Gloomhaven. Now it's not going to be perfect, but what other scenarios have we got where we can play a game? If, if we don't make some special way of doing it, because let's face it, we're not going to see each other face to face for, well, I think New South Wales advised today that this lockdown is going to be at least another 90 days. Yeah, it's amazing. So that's a long time. Exactly right. But there's, there's, there's some downsides to, to this as well. It's not just about I don't have to spend physical time with you guys. Um, the, the downsides are that someone in Gloomhaven has to move everything and create everything. So look, yeah. the point is there's ways and means for everything. And the joy of having a stable high-speed internet connection means that we are all distant, but we are very close. And there are groups that are forming on um, Facebook as well. Say so there's an Australian group for BGA or Board Game Arena users where you're all putting your usernames in and saying, anyone want to play? And it's, it's just creating this, this online community that we know is out there, but normally we're only connecting when we're going to conventions and we're seeing each other face to face. So people are social beings and we will find connection that way. And the great thing about you know, these, these online systems is you can choose to play with complete randoms from all over the world, or you can be a little bit more specific and tee up something like this, where you're, you're seeing each other, you're talking with each other, you're playing games, hopefully having a laugh. And then at the end of it, you go back to your normal solitary life that we're living at the moment. Yeah. And with everything that's going on, it's not a case of everyone's kind of alone in their houses at the moment or with, you know, one or two other people, we're all in this very much together. Mm. So a lot of people, when they come to, say, planning events and taking the initiative to do stuff like this, a lot of people aren't big fans of it. Now is the time to try and, if you can, shed that kind of bubble and the, what, the worry that that could be not good for you and reach out to somebody that you think, maybe they want to play a D&D with me or maybe they want to play a board game with me. And also, maybe they just want to chat because a lot of people are probably bored out of their scones and need something to do. So now is the time to go... I've got these three people together out of the five or six that I asked that are interested in playing something. Let's have a crack. Let's do it. And it's just a way to relieve the boredom, but also stay in contact with everyone around you. Absolutely. And everyone's got five dice, so you can just play Yahtzee without (laughs) having to do anything else. Surely that's a bit of fun. 
Yeah. I, I was going to say, I think that's a really important point that you brought up, Leon, is we do stay connected when we are so separate like this. Now, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm an essential worker. I'm going off to work every day. My partner is going off to work every day. So for us, life hasn't changed that much apart from these sort of leisure activities, whereas some other people, they're basically spending all day every day in their house and they might want to reach out and, and talk to other people. And this is a great medium to do it. Absolutely. So, yeah, no, I think there's plenty of ways and means. The good thing is the steps are really small. You sign up and you play. It's not hard. If you choose not to, you don't have to speak with people. And for a lot of people, gaming is a way that they would they would otherwise find social connection, which is great. And But in other parts of their life, not so, so social. So with board gaming... And these online sites, you can be as social or as antisocial as you want to be. You're still playing games. You've got this shared experience. So it's something for everybody, I think. Now, speaking of being connected, we obviously want to stay connected to the listeners, the downloaders, the people out there. And we sort of come up with a way of doing that, at least maybe like one person at a time for a few people. Now, gents, do we want to throw to another song or should we talk about this now? I think we should just get this done. We've got to wrap this one up. We've got games to play. Even when there's no time limit, we still bloody run out of time. <laughs> so we want to run a competition. We have some games that we've been gifted and we want to give them away to some of you generous people out there. So what we thought is we will post what the game is on our social media. Um, now, obviously, this needs to be reasonably timely because we need to send the game. But keep an eye on the social media. We'll post the name of the game. And if you're interested, what we want you to do is get in contact with us, either on the same social media, at Diceman Cometh on Instagram, at Diceman Cometh on Twitter, Diceman Cometh on Facebook, or you can always email us at, at DicemanCometh at gmail.com. But basically, send us a message, a picture, showing what you're doing, and tell us why you want to win the game that we are giving away. I think we've got four or five games to give away. That's right, we do. They're up there somewhere. So yeah, that'll be fantastic. I'm sure we'll be able to do some Facebook posts and make sure that people are aware of how to do it. We've got a really decent collection of very good in-shrink games that we need to give away. But we better wrap this up, one up, guys. Anyone got anything they want to finish with? Look, I just want to um, say hello to everyone. Stay safe, stay connected, stay sane. Stay gamers and take care of yourselves. Sounds like a good way to finish. We've been the Dice Men Cometh. Leon. That is a loving way to finish, Mark, but I just need to know, and this is specifically for you. Um, <laughs> do you remember a place that was once all fields but is no longer all fields? <laughs> and everywhere is not the answer. <laughs> yes, is the answer. Anywho, good luck everybody out there and we will see you sometime soon. Get on that competition and tell everyone you know because we want to give free games to everybody out there so you can play them in your lovely houses. All right, it's time for us to sign off and go play some games. We'll see you again next week. Bye. 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 You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their flagship events, LFG Sydney and LFG Essen Unplugged, as well as their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.